0: We're continuing our series this morning... Oh, it still doesn't sound like I'm on, am I? Yeah, Okay. fine. (laughs) We're continuing our series on cultivating the spirit-filled life this morning. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and assurance. Now, the uh, story is told that during the Boer War in the late 19th century, when the soldiers were marching to the front and the others, the other company, was returning their greeting would usually be 494, boys, 494. And the other company would answer with six further on, boys, six further on. Bit of a strange greeting, really. But of course it meant something to them. You might be surprised to know that in those days they didn't have Songs of Fellowship, even though we're at volume six already now. Uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have songs of fellowship. But their most popular book of hymns at the time was Sacred Songs and Solos, and copies had been sent to the front lines. Number 494 was God be with you till we meet again. And six further on was Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. So whatever type of uh, battle you're facing, it's a great greeting. God be with you till we meet again, and a great response of confidence, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. We don't sing that first hymn these days, but the words of Blessed Assurance, as we just sung, brings great comfort to millions of believers in the face of fear, persecution, sorrow and doubt. Comfort when we face dreadful trials, but also when we face niggles and difficulties of ordinary life as we try and refocus and remember to whom we belong and that we can have confidence in Him. In spite of any trial that comes, we know that we serve a Saviour who came to bring the kingdom of God on earth. And as we serve Him, we're part of that kingdom. We belong to that kingdom. We have our own part to play in that foretaste that is to come. We belong to Christ and his kingdom. We belong to him, to him who will have the last say and to whom every knee will bow. Blessed assurance. I think sometimes we we have an assurance that's deep down inside, that we know it's there and we can draw on it when things are really tough. But for some reason, it doesn't always feel like it or feel that real tomorrow morning when we're off to work or we're waiting at the hospital perhaps arriving at school, or looking after loved ones or mourning the loss of loved ones. And there are those times, I think, as well, like the Garden of Eden moments, when the serpent said to Eve, did God really say? Those times when doubt seems to rise, when perhaps we fail at something and then the devil plants those seeds of doubt. But actually, that's what they are, seeds. And it's up to us to decide whether we're going to nurture them and let them grow or not. It's good to know that even Jesus had those decisions to make when he was on earth. Because remember when Jesus was baptised and a voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, uh, sorry, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. There are so many different versions, you sometimes fall into different ones, don't you? But that's a word of assurance, isn't it? Actually, I always smile when I read that one because someone once said to me that God must have a soft spot for Essex. With him, I am well pleased. (laughs) Anyway, but uh, just after that affirmation, Jesus went out to the desert and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God. There was that possibility of sowing a seed of doubt. But of course, Jesus knew his true position before God. I think we can also feel intimidated around people sometimes who claim to have a faith that makes ours seem weak. They seem to jump from one miraculous action or stunning revelation to another on an almost daily basis. I can't answer for them. But I can say for myself, it's not often like that for me. I can more readily identify with some of the characters that God chose to write about in the Bible. Because God doesn't write fiction. He writes reality. And so scripture tells the story of faithful, doubting, obedient, rebellious, pure and sometimes unholy souls who don't always tread a clear, straight path of faith or spiritual progress. They often take two steps forward and then perhaps three back. Because scripture captures sins as well as successes, sacrifices as well as scandals. So the portraits of God's servants in the Bible, they're not photoshopped. We think about a few of them, you've got Moses. He took the credit away from God when he struck the rock to bring forth water rather than just speak to it. And so he couldn't enter the promised land. David made some serious errors of judgment with Bathsheba. Samson's love uh, for his women, that was his undoing. Elijah fell into bouts of depression. Jonah got angry with God and ran away. Miriam seemed to have a a, a hidden resentment toward Moses for marrying a Cushite woman. And Aaron joined with her. God tells it how it is. But he also shows his great love. Yeah, these people, they face consequences, as we do, from our actions. But, blessed assurance... Jesus is mine, through every up and every down, every twist and every turn and every high and every low blessed assurance I guess we should turn to the main passage for this morning which is Romans 8 and that's verses 14 to 17 page 1134 if you happen to have a church Bible We read, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There's lots of different translations, and even in the NIV, if you look up the NIV, on Bible Gateway, Bible Hub, or all the other ones, or if you turn to different NIV Bibles, unfortunately they have slightly different wordings. Um, Let's not worry about that too much, but they all say that we are children and heirs of God. I might refer to sons and daughters or children at different times. But that's simply my background uh, in the scriptures. God includes all. So I'm just going to comment briefly uh, on that passage overall to explain it before we look at a few bits more in more depth. It says those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or children of God. That's pretty clear. If you're led by the Spirit of God, then you're a child of God goes on to say, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Paul says that we're not living under law. We're not living in fear of breaking it or not measuring up to expectations. We've been brought out of that and adopted as sons and daughters. And by him we can cry, Abba, Father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Abba, father. The Aramaic and the Roman for father, sometimes called, uh, translated as daddy. And we can know that relationship because God's spirit affirms in us that new relationship. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So if we accept that we're God's children, then we have a new family relationship, brought out of the old and into the new, and with all the privileges of sonship or daughterhood, including inheriting a wonderful future. it might also include challenges and sufferings in the short term, as we take on all the implications of being a child of God. Remember when Jesus prayed in the garden. He said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. There's going to be difficult times, but Jesus knew that and he prayed for us. He prayed for our protection and he went on to promise to send one who would draw alongside and to give us assurance. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or counsellor or Holy Spirit to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little bit further on in that same chapter, it says the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace be with you. The peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So Jesus was thinking about and praying for us when he was on earth. He knew it wasn't going to be easy for us to follow him. And so he promised the Holy Spirit to stand with us, to remind us of his teaching, to help us apply what we learn and to give us that sense of assurance, of peace and a certain future as the child of God. Sounds right, doesn't it? Sounds good. But sometimes it doesn't always feel right. So I thought I'd better look at why that that might be. One of the things that can cause us to doubt and make us unsure is our lack of assurance of forgiveness. At the beginning of Romans, Paul says, Categorically, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son to be a sin offering. Once and for all, it's done. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Finished in the sense that it's complete. Nothing to add. And Paul reminded his readers and so reminds us that we can have that full assurance because God dealt with it. We might not shout out hallelujah, we should be perhaps, we might not in response, but I hope that our hearts feel that because that's part of what Paul is saying later in the passage, the spirit testifies with our spirit. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to assure us that we are his children. We've already said that we're adopted into God's family, but if we don't feel that certainty, then we might live as though we're insecure children, living in an unloving home, thinking that we have a father who threatens to disown us if we step out of line. And so we miss out on the joy of God's love and recognising our full rights as part of his family. We're not able to come to God with the assurance that he will welcome us with open arms. I think in the New Testament, assurance seems to rest on three things. Firstly, have we abandoned all our trust in our own good works and trust in Christ alone to be right before God? If we have, then that leads on to the second. Is there a change thinking and behaviour? There should be evidence in our lives that God has changed our hearts. You love God and you want to love him more. We should want to please him by a life of obedience to his word. You're growing in godly character and behaviour and you're showing the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness and self-control. We might not be perfect in all these things. I'd be surprised if you were. But are you on that road? Is that where your heart is? And then the third thing is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit who testifies that we are children of God. As we saw in our main passage, it says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Perhaps it's a bit difficult for us to discern the Spirit's testifying and it's an area that Satan will exploit if we let him. But it's so important for us to know the Spirit's presence in our lives. Jesus sent him to be with us. He knew we were going to have times of doubt, times of challenge, and so he sent the Holy Spirit to testify with our spirits that we are sons and daughters of God. Sometimes he feels very real, but there are also times when it's a challenge. And Paul says in the verses leading up to our passage, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When he's talking about being led by the Spirit, Paul isn't thinking here about how a Spirit might lead us on to a particular university or take a specific job or decide where to live, although he may guide us in those things. Here Paul is more thinking Or saying that if the the Holy Spirit is leading you to put your old ways behind you, then that's an evidence that you are a child of God. He's saying that if someone isn't really changing their old ways, then they won't be doing away with sin in their heart. They might be trying to do away with it outwardly, to look good to others, but they're simply filled with the pride of their own performance. They're not living to glorify God, but to glorify self. So to be led by the Spirit means to allow him to direct our lives so that his fruit is growing in us. So if the Spirit's leading you to repentance, to a change of heart, out of a desire to please and glorify God who saved you, then that's an evidence that you're his child and you can be assured. David knew this in the Psalms and in Psalm 51 he writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. And he wrote that after his adultery of Bathsheba and after he had her husband Uriah killed. Following that, there was the possibility of restoration if the heart was right and the spirit was steadfast. Paul uses the phrase led by the spirit. He suggests that the spirit is the primary mover. In Christian obedience, that it's his work in believers that leads us to obedience. Of course, we still have to follow the lead, the move of the Spirit, perhaps, but perhaps it emphasises our obedience is the result of the Spirit's work. So if we put that together, our following the lead of the Spirit is the evidence of the Spirit's activity in our life, and so again gives us good reason for assurance. Because God leads with the power, but we follow with the obedience. From the beginning of his letter to the Roman church, Paul had been building a case to get to this point. And he brings it to a climax when he says that we're children of God. We've been born into God's family through the Spirit who gives new life to us. We've been adopted into God's family as his chosen heirs, and there are implications to being children of God. It should lead to some similarity in thinking and of character and of nature. After commanding us to love our enemies, Jesus explains that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Children reflect the character of their Father because they share his nature. I've heard the expression, he's definitely a son of his father. Meaning that the mannerisms, the things he says or does, bear a clear family likeness or trait. Sometimes now when I look in the mirror, I see my dad looking back at me. That might just be an age thing, (laughs) but I reflect him. But I see things in my own children's behaviour or the things they do, and uh, I realise that some 20 years or so of living with me is reflected in them. Poor things. But uh, yeah, Ruth said to me once that when she was at university, she needed some light bulbs. So she went to B and Q with her friends in Canterbury. She walked straight to the area where light bulbs were. And when they asked her how she knew where they were, she said, "Well, they're all the same layout." And she'd been in more than enough with me. <laughs> so she reflected me in that way. Hopefully, in other better ways too. But how much more should we reflect our heavenly Father? I love all children, of course but I have a special love for my own children and grandchildren. And God has a special love for his chosen children because Jesus died for us. He gave his life for us because that's how much he loves us. Because we're his children, we're heirs, and we also have special access to his presence that others don't. And I'm sure that we could come up with a lot more privileges that are ours because we're God's children. If we're seeking to give up our sin and to live for God on a daily basis, to be more like him, then that's an indication that the Spirit is leading and guiding our lives. John Piper, a Christian author and preacher, says, when you fight sin by trusting in Christ as being superior to what sin offers, you are being led by the Spirit. And that's a sign that we are sons and daughters of God. The gospel is good news. We've been set free. We're no longer under law, but under grace. Some versions translate verse 15. On that second part there, it says, you have received a spirit of adoption as children by which we cry out, Abba, Father. When Jesus died on the cross, that temple curtain that separated the most holy place was torn in two, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. God opened the way. He took the lead. Before then, it was only the most high priest who approached God, and then only once a year. But now we can know God personally within his family, made possible by the Father who loves his children. What God first intended in the Garden of Eden was now possible. It's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of sonship or adoption that can bring that assurance because the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Sometimes we talk about a person becoming a believer, we talk about new birth. And with good reason, because the Bible does. Jesus told Nicodemus he must be born again. But here Paul's talking about being adopted into God's family. I think of that as when we make a decision to follow Jesus, to live his way, to put behind us the things of the past, then we're born again. And that means that we can be adopted into God's family. God becomes our father. Jesus becomes our oldest brother in a reverent way. And the Holy Spirit comes to guide us through life to follow what's sometimes a narrow and difficult path to always be with us and to give us assurance, to give us words to say when we need them, strength to continue when times are tough and wisdom to decide rightly when we're making difficult decisions. Without him, we'd be doing everything in our own strength, which may fail quickly, but even if it didn't, we'd be in danger of living by our works rather than by our faith. In Roman society, and remember Paul was writing to the Roman church, adoption had very significant implications. And so Paul borrowed that analogy from something that would have been very familiar to them. It's what Jesus did when he taught in parables. There were four big changes that meant that they became new people when they were adopted, effectively born again. The adopted person lost their rights in their old family but they gained all the rights of a legitimate son or daughter in their new family. And so it followed that they became heir to their new father's estate. Even if others were born afterwards, it didn't affect their rights. And then also in law, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. For instance, all debts would have been cancelled. They were regarded as a new person entering a new life with which the past had nothing to do. And then finally, in the eyes of the law, they were absolutely the child of their new father. When the Holy Spirit enables us to believe in Christ and to understand that we are adopted children of God, all of those privileges are ours too. We have a new status before God, but also a new relationship with God as our father. We can say, Abba Father. But we should also remember as we draw near to him that he's sovereign of the universe, that he is holy. Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father. And immediately goes on to say, Who is in heaven? Hallowed be your name. Intimacy and dependency, but also reverence. As I come to an end this morning, I just wanted to reflect a little bit on verse 16 of that Romans chapter 8, where it says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We all face doubts at times, and as I said earlier, they're often based on those words, did God really say? Or those thoughts, did I really commit? When you made that commitment to believe the gospel message, to follow Jesus and to live a new life, where did that come from? To understand and believe the gospel needs a supernatural work of God's spirit in our lives. It's not a decision that we make on our own. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We might have those times when we say, like the centurion did, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief that's the spirit of god in us as an inner witness that we're god's child when we do things wrong and the devil causes us to doubt our adoption even after we've repented and then we read the opening verses of romans 8 once again there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus because christ jesus because through christ jesus the spirit of life set me free When you read those and something inside you gives you peace, that's the Holy Spirit. Or perhaps you feel alone and wonder if anyone cares for you or is concerned about your problems. And then you read, as I think it was Barbara read earlier, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As you read that promise, you're lifted with renewed hope in God. Where does that come from? the Holy Spirit in us. If he wasn't, then that verse and many others would mean very little to us. Our spirits wouldn't be touched because the Holy Spirit wouldn't be there to testify to our spirits. Of course, it may be you've never taken that first step. Well, perhaps the Spirit is challenging you today to take that step. Don't put it off. Please talk to someone this morning, someone you came with, someone you know, Someone with a badge. Someone, anyone. And come to know that assurance of being a son or daughter of God. A certain future as an heir within the family of God. We have access to God through his word and through prayer. God speaks through his word and also through prayer. And it's his spirit that impresses on us what he wants to say. I know we're not quite at Christmas yet, although the <coughs> decorations and so on are often out in the shops already. But in those first verses of John's gospel that we often read at Christmas time, it says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. Children not born of natural descent, but born of God. Amen. It's the Spirit who brings us to faith. It's the spirit who stays with us through life. It's the spirit who works in us and strengthens us, helping us to grow. And it's the spirit who gives us the assurance that we are gods, secure and free with a certain future and a forgiven and forgotten past. And that last verse of Matthew's gospel says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That means today, tomorrow and in every situation. Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we thank you that we can know the assurance of being your child. Father, when we have doubts, just be that much closer to us by your spirit. And Father, give us the courage this morning that uh, if we do want to talk to someone about doubts, about faith, help us to do that, Lord. Keep prompting us. And make us ready, Lord, to support one another. Thank you, Lord, you're going to go forward with us in this week. We can have the confidence your spirit is with us, leading and guiding. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance of your love. Amen. Amen.